0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. And each week we come to you with the information that you need to arm yourself so that you can fight for your own health care and for your family's care. We are uh, getting a sound check right here. I'm fixing my, my, my uh, headphones. Sorry about that. This uh, sh- th- this show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and, um, okay, let's get this forked, and uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country that's run entirely by doctors, and uh, we are dependent on your help. Come to our website www.d. The number four PC and please contribute generously. There's lots of important information on the website that you should uh, look into, and I think that you'll find that, that uh, there's things on there that you didn't know that you really need to. One of them is about our upcoming uh, uh, direct primary care. Uh, conference in November, and we will be talking about that more in the weeks to come, and um, uh, the person who is responsible for that is our guest today, which is uh, the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, the founder of Epiphany Health, and uh, the uh, person who is uh, one of the founders of the uh, direct primary care movement and he coming to you uh, live from Westport, Florida. I have uh, uh, Dr. Lee Gross joining me this morning to talk about uh, some issues uh, that have occurred in uh, Washington and in Florida. So good morning, Lee.
0: Good morning, Dr. Hal. Good yeah. to hear from you.
1: Good to hear from you as well and uh, we have you for two segments today so, and we we uh, appreciate that uh, you were able to uh, uh, steal some time away from your busy practice. I know that you are heading back to Washington tomorrow, or, or maybe tonight, I guess, for tomorrow. So so let's just jump right into this. Lee, there are uh, complex issues regarding uh, overhauling health care that uh, direct primary care is an integral part of. So um, why don't you help to uh, uh, fill in what's happened with that and unpack these issues for us.
0: Sure, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. So yeah, obviously you've talked about this many times, but for those that are, that are just hearing Direct Primary Care for the first time, it is a membership-based primary care program that allows people to consume uh, essentially unlimited primary care services for a flat fixed fee kind of like netflix uh... that fee for our practice is sixty five dollars a month for adults twenty five dollars a month for one child and ten dollars a month for each additional child and these are insurance free based practices that don't bill third parties for any of their any of their services so everything that's done in our office is done at no additional charge after those fees and so that, that creates some complex issues around the country when you do that. Uh, one of the complex issues is if you're charging a flat monthly fee for unlimited health care services, shouldn't she be regulated as a health insurance company aren't you a risk-bearing entity? And so the uh, IRS and Treasury have sort of taken that position that this is a health plan, um, which, which creates complexities, which, which will sort of break out here uh, over the next two segments. Uh, as to how Washington deals with this. But, you know, so the interesting thing is that, you know, right now with everybody having such high deductibles, nobody can afford their health care, what we've realized is that the, with the national push for coverage, that coverage is not health care. And despite the fact that most people or many people don't have coverage, they still can't afford to, to access health care. Direct primary care and similar programs solve that problem. Um, they allow access to affordable care for chronic conditions. They don't exclude for pre-existing conditions. Those are insurance terms that really are irrelevant in the world of direct primary care. So we're, we are breaking down boundaries to access to care that is not being done in any practice or, or in any type setting anywhere in the country, uh, other than in the direct primary care movement. We're now up to about 1,000 practices nationwide that are practicing in this delivery, delivery care model. Each of them are independently owned and operated small businesses, mom-and-pop shops, just like you're used to, used to seeing. But well, you know, as you know, one of the, the obstacles to, to uptake of these practices is getting patients. And if patients have health savings account, the position that the Internal Revenue Service has, has somewhat taken is that patients that have an HSA, can't sign up for direct primary care practices because it will disqualify their HSA. Now, that has never been enforced, and we've been doing this for 10 years, so that has never been enforced by IRS. The only issuance or utterance of anything to that nature was from a letter from former IRS Commissioner John Koskin in 2014, uh, wrote a letter to a, a sitting senator at the time and said, we believe it's a health plan, we believe it disqualifies the HSA. They've never clarified it. They've never issued any guidance on it. Yet that single letter has served to guide all of, of IRS and Treasury policy ever since that time. And so if you go to your human resources person or if you want to sign up for a plan, what many people will tell you is you can't do it. Um, so that is something that's actually been trying to be overcome, that that one letter is something that has created so much consternation across the country in the drug primary care movement that it is amazing um, that, that something that would seem so simple uh, is so monumental to overcome and, and perhaps that, that's a, a good uh, explanation for why our our care system is so broken. If something so simple uh, is so difficult to, to accomplish, um, then you know, imagine if you really were trying to overhaul the entire health care system. Uh, it, it's a it's a bridge too far. So
1: there so, are there, there are people yep. there are people who are trying to um, to fix health There's this is this has become one of the uh, central issues politically going forward in 2020, and we've talked ad nauseum on this show, and we will continue to do so about the Medicare for All, which is socialized health care. But on the Republican side, they're trying to do. Uh, uh, they're trying to institute changes that would that would actually help people and the high, and and address the high cost of health care without blowing up the system. And direct primary care is a big part of that, isn't it? It,
0: it is, and so, but but it's it, you know it, it's a solution that nobody wants to talk about, and. Frankly, I guess that's probably a good thing that nobody wants to talk about it because it still keeps us below the radar while we keep fixing the problems for them. Right. Uh, but, you know, you look at the the, the big issue now with is surprise medical bills. You know, and they focus on the patient that goes to the emergency room. They get a, you know, it's an in-network an emergency room for their insurance company, but the anesthesiologist for their surgery was out of network, and now they get a surprise $16,000 anesthesia bill. That is a big bill. That is a surprise bill, but it's a bill that affects almost nobody. I mean, it almost never happens. So we're going to pass legislation to fix that. But the real surprise medical bill that happens every single day is the patient with their Obamacare policy that goes to the doctor for a physical, and they complain of a problem to their doctor, say, oh, my knee's hurting me. Well, now that physical is no longer free. That physical applies towards their deductible, and they're going to get a surprise $250 bill in the mail.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that That is the bait-and-switch that happens all day, every day, in almost every doctor's office. Not the fault of the physician. The fault of the of the, the regulatory uh, apparatus that is, that exists around these things. And it's the type of, of bait and switch that makes people fearful of going to their doctor. And if they do, makes them fearful of bringing up problems that are actually affecting them. That will prevent the long term downstream downstream costs. Direct primary mm-hmm. care solves all that stuff. There are no surprise bills. Uh, we've eliminated that problem. Uh, the there's you know bipartisan push for affordable access to medications. Most direct primary care practices that are independent do wholesale dispensing of medications. Now, so we're talking about pennies per pill uh, to dispense these medications. Uh, Florida just passed legislation to re-import medications from Canada uh, to dispense those medications to patients so that they could save money. The direct primary care practices are already doing it for less than you can reimport the medications from Canada. So, you know, we're creating solutions to problems that have already been solved by the direct primary care movement. So what we need really in the direct primary care movement is not help from Washington. We need Washington to step out of the way uh, and allow these practices to continue to grow and thrive and continue to solve the problems that they've already solved.
1: They don't understand... Healthcare—that's a big part of this, and and um, th- there's the, the 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 lines between health care and health insurance are so blurry that people equate the two, and that's that's one of the big battles that needs to be really fought and, and uh, attitude overcome so that that the problem can get fixed. can Isn't that isn't that true?
0: It is true and I think that you know that's the drum that you've been beating for for a long time, Hal, is that you know is that we don't you know if, if we were to consume the entire wealth of every billionaire in the United States, we would not cover the cost of of healthcare spending in the United States for 2 years. Um, and so after that who's going to pay for it? Um, so we don't have you know, we have a cost, a price problem in our healthcare system. And nothing, you know, unless you actually affect bringing down the cost of health care, bringing down the cost of health care delivery, nothing is going to fix this problem. And I can tell you that nothing has had more meaningful impact on lowering the cost of health care than the direct primary care movement. And,
1: and you've done a fantastic job of actually lowering that um, health care cost curve in the direct primary care movement. Lee, um, how much you, you've been... Um, very very effective at um, at carrying this message to Washington along with some of the other leaders in the direct primary care movement how much of the um, uh, pushback, how much of the resistance to embrace this is is um, the result of special interests that are trying to um, keep a hold on what they've got in health care.
0: I would estimate that the vast majority of it is resistance from those that are that are that are profiting in the broken system. Um, it's a combination of that, and then people just don't understand what it is we're trying to do. You know, so either it's intentional, or or it's it's, it's just purely a lack of understanding of, of the direct primary care movement. And so the system's broken on purpose. There are there are many people that that do well in this three trillion dollar healthcare economy. So. You know they don't they don't necessarily want this thing fixed, but we are. You know, and that, you know when I was talking to a major health insurer, and I was explaining to them how if you if you front loaded primary care, if you did primary care better, that you could prevent such downstream say or prevent the uh, the downstream costs, the, the unnecessary hospitalization, the unnecessary rehospitalization, unnecessary tests, referral surgeries by doing primary care better. Uh, and he said, "But we make money off of all that downstream utilization." And he's absolutely true. You know, if you prevent the the, the downstream spending, the profits of the insurance companies are tied to the downstream spending by law. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not that's not their design. That is how Congress set it up for them.
1: Right, and. Uh it's it's a broken system as you've pointed out and and the insurance companies profit the hospitals profit the pharmaceutical industry profits and they're not willing to uh take a hit to fix this for everybody unfortunately we're coming up to a hard break in just a minute but i'm going to give you um uh an opportunity to uh answer this question when we get back in the next segment and that is our show unfortunately um uh, delivers lots of bad news because there's so much that is is wrong with health care and we're trying to teach people what it is that that's broken so this is one of the the um, bright the bright shining lights that it's a possible solution i want you to just um, give everybody when we come back in the next segment some optimism some something to that they can hang on to and look forward to that's actually happening um, that's surrounding direct primary care. So stay with us and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: Thank
0: you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: We're back in the doctor's lounge. My guest is the uh, president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, Lee Gross, one of the founders of the direct primary care movement, and the, uh, the, uh, um, o- the founder, the, op- um, the founding physician of uh, Epiphany Health, one of the leading direct primary care practices in the country um lee i gave you a question um at the uh at the end of the last segment to give people you know a sense of uh what they uh uh, can hopefully um look forward to and and uh what what might come from washington that might be a fix for some of the problems
0: we can start briefly with the with what's going on at some of the states. So we've now had legislation passed in 26 states that specifically protects the direct primary care movement. It says direct primary care is not health insurance. It, it offers them protection from being regulated as insurance products at the state level. And Georgia uh, is
1: one. And, and Georgia one of them.
0: Congratulations! Thank, Thank you. you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're you know so so this year we're working on Wisconsin, Alaska, Pennsylvania continues to be a, a, a challenge. Uh, but, you know, we are definitely have crossed the tipping point where it's more than half the states in the country. Uh, the interesting thing that Florida did this year is they actually changed the, the designation and said, uh, you know what, we liked what happened so much in the direct primary care movement. We're going to expand that protection to all specialists. And so they passed legislation in this last session that, that changes the name to direct health care um, and protects every specialist in the state of Florida that wants to practice in this model of health care. Mm-hmm. So, we're already seeing the states um, uh, acknowledging uh, how powerful this movement is and even broadening it even further, uh, which is exciting. Other things we're seeing at the state level is, and is particularly here in Florida where I practice, is elimination of the Certificate of Need laws, yes. which are competitor veto laws that, that restrict competition, uh, particularly in hospitals and, and putting up hospital beds and adding imaging services and, and so forth. Uh, every administration since the Reagan administration has tried to eliminate these these flawed certificate of need laws that that restrict access to care and and drive up costs and and eliminate eliminate choices for patients Uh, but under the Trump administration with pressure from the Trump administration uh, the recommendations from the president's choice and competition report that came out of Labor Department Health and Human Services uh, which really pushed states uh, to to lift these laws, uh, and then working closely with the Governor of Florida, with the Speaker of the House in Florida and the Senate President in Florida, uh, after many decades has finally eliminated a certificate of need laws in Florida. so
1: and it's the first is- and it's the first state incidentally since Wisconsin to uh, actually eliminate certificate of need. And that was in the last time was um, I believe it was um, um, seven years ago.
0: That's the speed of progress right there. <laughs> right,
1: right. That's right. But so, but
0: so many special interests are involved in that. I mean, that is a heavy, heavy, heavy lift. It is. Um, you know, because you're going up against the hospitals, you're going up against the insurance companies and the, the hospices and the nursing homes and, and everybody else that, right. that has a stake in restricting competition. You bet. Um, you know, m- imagine if, if there was a, a law that said that Burger King can't put up a, a, a burger joint near McDonald's. Um, and if you try to eliminate that, what sort of pressure there would be to to fight that. Mm. Um, And and that's what you're seeing basically in in healthcare, except the the scale is exponentially greater. Uh, So we're seeing that happen at the state level. That's exciting news, big big breakthroughs. Uh, That's going to be huge actually right here for us here in Northport, because we've been turned down for a hospital for 13 years now over the certificate of need process, despite the fact that we're the largest population in Sarasota County in Florida. We have more more residents than the city of sarasota yet they have two hospitals we have none Um, so we're looking forward to now having the opportunity to actually take care of our own residents take care of our own uh, patients uh, and develop hospital services for them so that's a big deal 40 or seventy thousand people are now going to have access to hospital services uh, because of the changes that the administration is is pushing
1: are people coming Uh, into northport looking to uh, open up a hospital
0: well, we've had people in Northport looking to put up a hospital, but the state's denied it multiple times.
1: So now that's uh, that's likely to happen.
0: It's likely it's it's going to happen; it's just a matter of time now.
1: Well, that's wonderful. What what else do we have to look forward to, Lee?
0: So we've already seen changes in the the uh, um, the association health plan rules. So the Obama administration clamped down on you know groups of plumbers basically getting together and, and purchasing group health plans or chambers of commerce allowing small businesses to pool, to pool together to, to buy group health plans. The administration, uh, through their Choice and in Competition initiative, has modified these, these association health plan rules, are going to now allow small businesses uh, to pool together pool risk, act as large businesses to to buy health plans, uh, including purchasing those across state lines. And, and those initiatives will be phased in uh, over over some considerable period of time as they you know gain experience with how these things are going to roll out. The uh, big one that's coming out right now are the the HRA or the health reimbursement arrangements. Uh, again the Obama administration had significantly clamped down on the ability of employers to help their individual employees to to pay for their health care. And they specifically banned the ability of emplo- or employers to help individuals in their practice or in their employment purchase individual health plans, uh, and they, they established a penalty of $100 per employee per day if they were to help fund purchase of an individual health plan. They really wanted to drive people into the exchanges, um, and so the administration has modified those rules, and now for the first time, an individual employee basically a lot has the same tax-preferred status as a, as a corporation to now buy health plans tax-free. Um, that is a, a relatively new thing that, and and that is a a, a, a rule that's being you know, rolled out imminently. Uh, that has you know that's two years in the works from the time of an executive order in 2017 till till the initial proposed rule to bringing in the stakeholders to comment, public comment, revisions, review by all the, the departments to the final rollout. That's a two-year process.
1: That's, um, that's insane. You
0: know, that's if you're trying to do things administratively. Um, now that, and those are the kinds of things that you that, that you can do if you have no participation from Congress, right. uh, as you have to sort of use this tortured rulemaking process, which drags out forever. Mm. Um, imagine how much you could accomplish if you actually had a willing and participating Congress, right? Uh, that that played along and actually was helping set the rules uh, to allow these things to happen. But so we're excited about that. It's a it's a rule that's going to to allow uh, employers to to give uh additional funds to their employees it's a tax free uh, benefit to the employee so they don't pay in- income taxes on it it's tax free to the employer so they're not paying wage taxes on it um, and uh, as long as they're used for, for qualifying medical expenses um, it, it's kind of like a health savings account but it really is a, a very powerful tool that the that the administration is unleashing to empower the individuals uh, you know so the interesting thing is you know we're talking about pre-existing conditions all the time One of the biggest reasons why people have pre-existing conditions is because they lose employment or they change jobs, and their health insurance is tied to their employment. But if they own the health policy and they change jobs, then they don't lose their coverage, so they take it with them. There's no pre-existing condition issue whatsoever because the coverage is never elapsed. Right. So if we empower the individuals to own their own plans through these health reimbursement arrangements, we solve a lot of the the pre-existing condition issues.
1: And one of the things that you didn't mention that already has been instituted by the Trump administration are the short-term insurance plans, the skinny plans, which actually um, dovetail so nicely into direct primary care arrangements.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, so... While those are being dubbed junk insurance because they don't cover anything, I would argue that that's the only true real health insurance that we have in the country. Everything else is a packaged, prepaid, very bloated, expensive medical plan. Exactly. Uh, These short-term plans are true major medical, catastrophic only. They cover nothing. So the direct primary care and the direct primary care initiative that makes all the routine health care affordable for everybody makes it feasible to pay cash for routine care and then to have a backup safety net in your pocket, like your homeowner's insurance or your car insurance, to pull out in the event that you have a big-ticket expense that you need. This is those what? are being pushed back against uh, very aggressively. Um, by
1: the insurance by those, industry?
0: Well, by the insurance industry, by, by those that are trying to prop up the Affordable Care Act that don't right. want people leaving and, and purchasing these skinny these skinny plans. Right. But frankly, that's what people want. That's what we've asked the administration for. Uh, when I say we, I mean the direct primary care doctors are looking for wraparound affordable solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, they are you know short-term medical plans by design.
1: But they're um, but they're renewable for three years. So so this is this is you know not insignificant.
0: No, it's the exact relief that we've asked from the administration. And again, imagine how powerful these could be if we actually had a willing Congress that was willing to to modify the laws to allow these things to expand and actually not just be temporary but you could actually purchase a major medical plan.
1: Right. Well, you know, you're you're that's that's such wishful thinking asking for Congress <laughs> that does something. Lee, you know, you're we're coming close to the end of this segment and I know you need to go and I want to give you an opportunity just to pitch the Direct Primary Care conference in Orlando in November because you've done such an incredible job of putting this together initially, and then getting all of your buddies all over the country who are the leaders in direct primary care to to be willing participants and to help uh, people who are already in this movement or who um, are interested in it and wish to learn more. So go ahead, you've got until the end of the segment to talk about this.
0: Thank you. So November 14th to November 16th at the Rosen Center Hotel in Orlando, Florida, we're having our fourth annual direct primary care nuts and bolts conference. And we could not do this if it were not for the generous, generous support of the Physicians Foundation, which has given us generous grants to teach physicians how to do this. Um, and with the uh, with the incredible faculty that we've assembled from, from physicians all around the country that donates their time to come in to, to expand this movement, each year, the, con- the conference continues to grow. I think last year we had 400 physicians from 41 states that attended this conference. Uh, we're expecting it to be bigger and better this year. So we will have a couple tracks. We're going to be looking at, at, at you know startup practices, how to take your, your already existing practice and expand it, how specialists can participate in it. And we are even expanding this year a track for managers, office managers, to Go through the nuts and bolts on daily operations of the practice and compliance and so forth. So we're excited to continue to grow this. We will, if you go to uh, D, the number four PC foundation dot org, you can see uh, information about the conference there. Sign up for our newsletters and we'll go ahead and send out information to you when the registration is open for the conference.
1: That's that's great, Lee. You know, um, I want to thank you for taking time from your practice and your trips to washington to join us and and uh, update us and i hope that when uh you have a little more time you can come back for a full hour
0: absolutely thanks so much for the invite thanks for all your hard work cal appreciate it you are the uh, the founder of this movement so i thank you so much for all your effort
1: gosh well i think it's a mutual admiration society so thank you lee and uh stay with us we'll be back in the next segment
2: Thank you.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're,
1: we're back in the doctor's lounge. I want to thank uh, my good friend and uh, and colleague, Lee Gross, for being on the show for the first two segments and sharing with us some of the uh, updates on What's ha- happening in healthcare in Washington and around the country and at state level? There is movement in a positive direction. I think that there's hope. It's not going to happen without hard work by many, many people—not just doctors, but people who are willing to um, uh, hold legislators' feet to the fire and um, and demand some of the things that we talk about on this show. So it's really important for you to um, be well-educated and understand what the issues are. Healthcare's in the news all the time. And I'm going to talk about one item in the news in just a moment i want to just um do a few plugs the first one is uh, just to remind everybody that this show is being live streamed on facebook and you can go to the america's web radio facebook page and participate with um uh, questions that you can get in live and i will be happy to answer those questions um we uh really uh uh have grown as far as a uh as a network is concerned and the reach has been tremendous um tell your friends about what we're doing and and get them to watch us live or to download the podcasts which are going up pretty soon after this uh, initial broadcast is is being done each week um we really um uh, depend on on your listenership and and uh, and we are looking forward to suggestions how we can make this show better. One thing that um, I'd like to share with you that is um, a very nice gesture on the part of the station owner and operator, David Moxley, is uh, geared at the veteran population who you know that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation strongly supports, especially with uh, VA health care reform. And uh, David has uh, um, made it uh, uh, possible for any veteran in any war since the civil war to um, uh, come on and uh, have two weeks of free advertising for a new business. So this is something that David feels strongly about. He is very uh, uh, tied to uh, the military and appreciates the the uh, service of our veterans and, um, and so I think that people who are interested in in this, sh- can contact the station. There are many ways of doing so. Just go to the website and go to the uh, segment that says "Contact Us," and you can either do it by phone or by email. and And uh, David would be more than happy to speak with you or or um, or correspond with you and uh, and help you, veterans, to uh, help launch your business. So. Like I have said in the la- just a moment ago about healthcare being in the news, once again, we go through this cycle pretty much every two years, and certainly every four years since uh, 2008, and in, in poll after poll after poll, health care um, is, uh, if not the number one issue, it's certainly the number two issue. It affects everybody, and and uh, nobody really has a uh, definitive solution. The left um, has their idea, which is Medicare for all, socialized health care. Bernie Sanders is going around the country right now trying to convince um, America, that democratic socialism isn't socialism at all, and uh, you know this is this is you know the the folly of an old man who uh, has uh, honeymooned in in the Soviet Union and and rubbed elbows with uh, communist dictators around the world who believes that what he has in mind. And and wants in store for America isn't any different. It's just a different type of totalitarianism, in in uh, in his world. But he wants to sell this vision that everything is a right, and that in order to fulfill those rights, you've got to take away from others to give to the, a segment of the population that um, doesn't have. What others do, and so this is this is just another form of totalitarianism on the on the um de- on the republican side you've got um more uh, fl- the, a greater flow of ideas where there are people who think that they know how to fix things and there is an uh there are those who believe that we should um, uh go ahead and Open up the markets. There are those who believe that we need to uh, go ahead and um, uh, regulate healthcare a little bit better, but but um, uh, lower prices by uh, in, in that way. And there's really um, this is such a complex issue. You heard Dr. Gross say that the big problem is government. Is involved in healthcare in the first place, and that's absolutely true. And um, the less government that there is in, in healthcare, the better it will be. So every day in major uh, news outlets, there's, there are healthcare articles, and I, I, I read these articles with interest. And most of the time, I don't worry about. What the issue is that they're trying to trying to convey? Because I know that there's not a lot of of sentiment behind it. It's it's people bloviating. It's it's people opining what they think. But there was an interesting opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal um, yesterday that um, I that has been just. Weighing heavily on my mind that I need to share with you because we've been talking in the last few shows about surprise medical billing. Doctor Gross just mentioned about surprise medical billing, and people um, think that this is a giant problem in healthcare, and the reason why healthcare is so expensive. and And that's actually not the case. This happens. I, I won't deny it. It happens. You know. If it happens even a couple of times, it's a couple of times too many. But that's not really the surprise medical billing. Dr. Gross um, explained that the real surprise medical billing is the bait and switch of Obamacare where you get a free – um, healthcare screening until you complain about something, and then all of a sudden it's not free, and you've got to pay for it, and you get stuck with the bill. That's the surprise medical billing that occurs on a rampant basis all throughout the country in in um, medical uh, offices and hospitals all throughout the country. But with this article in the Wall Street Journal by Benedict Ippolito of American Enterprise Institute... Alleges is that surprise medical billing is a big problem, and he pins the blame squarely on doctors. And you know he uses as his opening paragraph a uh, a a uh, anecdote about a uh, a fellow who uh, went into the emergency room with a broken jaw, got it set by a doctor, and. Weeks later, got a bill for eight thousand dollars from the surgeon because the surgeon was not included in what he thought was what the patient thought was covered services. Now, this is something that is not the fault of doctors. This is the fault of the system. And I and I really I am going to be writing about this and responding in an in an opinion piece of my own because this is such a false narrative that needs to be debunked that and and people need to understand this. And I as one who is a consumer of health care, not just a deliverer of health care, can can empathize with this. I don't want to receive a, a bill for something that um, is out of the blue, which I thought was going to be covered. Nobody wants that. Now it doesn't happen that often, but it shouldn't happen at all. And let me let me try to um, explain why this is happening so that that I can unpack this issue for you. So wh- why do doctors, not participate. Well, I'll, t- I'll explain. Doctors, um, if you are part of a big group, have leverage with insurance companies. Now, insurance companies, they will have what they consider to be their fee schedule. And their fee schedule, quite often, is so low that it will not even cover overhead for some doctors. And If you are a small group, one, two person group, and you don't have any leverage with those insurance companies, the insurance company has a boilerplate contract with their boilerplate fee schedule and it's take it or leave it. If you want to see the patients who have that insurance and you want to be a participating physician... You have to accept those rates. If you don't like it, then you don't participate, but they're not going to negotiate with you. The only doctors that they negotiate with are those who have market share and who the insurance company needs. If they don't feel like they need you, there's no leverage. There is no incentive for the insurance companies to offer you more money. Many of these contracts that insurance companies are offering to doctors are actually less than Medicare rates. And Medicare rates already are significantly lower than the commercial rates for groups that have leverage, that have negotiating power. So many doctors are saying well gosh you know what I just can't afford to be on your health plan I'm not going to accept that contract and so they're not now if you are a doctor and you practice and you practice in a hospital if you want hospital privileges you're um, compelled by the hospital to take call at the hospital otherwise you that's part of the medical staff rules in almost all hospitals around the country. Now, you have to take a certain amount of call, emergency, emergency call. That means that if a patient comes in and you are uh, and they need your services and you're the doctor for that particular specialty on call, they call you in and you have to take care of them. Now, if the patient has, let's just say united healthcare insurance and the hospital is a participating hospital so an emergency patient comes into the hospital with united healthcare insurance the hospital's you're they've already negotiated their rates with the hospital and so so the hospital accepts a certain payment they have Anesthesiologists, If you need an operation, many of the hopefully the anesthesiologists are on are our on staff. The emergency room is, is is on the health plan, but the surgeon who has to come in to take care of that problem may not be on United Healthcare. In which case, they will submit their own bill, and that's what surprise medical billing is. And it's not the fault of the doctor; it's the fault of the health insurance company unwilling to pay reasonable rates to many doctors. And so that leaves doctors out of the network. I'm going to finish explaining this to you and I'm packing this in the last segment. So please stay with us.
2: Thank you.
0: This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on
1: Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on
0: a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the
1: AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the last segment of the Doctor's Lounge, and I was um, I was uh, trying to explain surprise medical billing once again and try to um, assign um, blame where it really deserves to be assigned and not allow um, demagogues and and uh, and those who are trying to um, to assign the blame to physicians to get away with it because it's just it's just wrong and and it it is deflecting what the real problem is. So I explained why insurance companies um, will will not pay doctors um, a fair amount of money. Not only that, but many insurance companies are trying to maximize their profits another way, and that is by creating what's called narrow networks, skinny networks. That means that they have less physicians available on their panel because they can save money by um, directing their patients who are subscribers to the doctor's That are the least cost, um, um, the the lowest cost centers for them. So, in other words, if you're an insurance company and you can get those one or two doctor groups who have no leverage, who are willing to accept nothing or or lower rates for care, then if you have enough of those people to satisfy a uh, the marketplace, they can exclude the larger groups that demand more uh, higher reimbursement and th- in this way, the, the, um, the insurance companies have created these narrow networks and many doctors who are s- sometimes some of the best in the area are not on these insurance panels for that reason. A big reason why this is happening is because hospitals do not pay doctors to take call; they compel them to take call, but they do not, they they don't um, remunerate them for call. So the hospitals. Let me just. I've I've said this on past shows about the the complicity of hospitals and insurance companies, hospitals charge a fortune for care. Um, this is going to change under the Trump administration as well. And again, you heard Dr. Gross say that the wheels turn very slowly, but they're trying to, um, to uh, institute site neutrality, which means that if you have a, a, a procedure at the hospital, which right now the hospitals can charge five to 10 times as much as, as a doctor the identical doctor doing the identical procedure in the same site, but not owned by the hospital, the doctor can gets a fifth to a tenth of what the hospital is. This, let me say this a different way. If you own a, a, uh, a, a GI lab and you do colonoscopy and you have um, a GI lab attached to your office, there's a certain fee schedule and that's what you get paid But let's say that you sell, if a doctor sells that to the hospital, doesn't change the GI lab, no different doctor, just changes the ownership to the hospital. The next day, that same procedure can be billed five to ten times greater. That's going away. At least that's what the Trump administration wants to see disappear. That's called site neutrality. It doesn't matter where you give that service, it's the same reimbursement regardless where and that will that will break the hospital incentive to buy up doctor practices so that they can maximize their profits but the hospitals are in large part the majority of them are non-for-profits they are 501c3s they they have their tax exempt organizations and they work in cahoots with the insurance company so they pad the bill, they ask the the insurance company uh, and the hospitals work together to increase the, the charges. Um, the hospitals write off these charges because they've already got an arrangement with the insurance company. So the higher their charges are, the more write-off they get, and that goes back to their tax-exempt status. But doctors do not have an ability to write off charges. If my fee is $100 and I'm getting paid $80 by the insurance company, I can't write off $20, but the hospitals can. And so this is is the inequities, the unlevel playing field in healthcare today. So these surprise medical bills are not because of the doctor's Gouging the system, this is because the system has created these inequities that need to be fixed. Now, the fix to this problem is that the hospitals should not um, pay doctors. That's the worst thing. That's one of the things that are being proposed that a lump sum get paid for a service and then the hospital doles it out to the different participants. Very bad idea. Another bad idea would be to cap fees. Very, very bad idea. What I think is the best solution is for the the hospital to um, pay, either pay doctors for call, which means that they have to um, they'll get a, a a certain amount of money that would offset the charges that they would bill for their services. That they are giving to the hospital as part of their obligation to be on their staff, and so that would that would that would um, dampen the pressure on the doctors to have to charge cash pay, paying patients as much money as they do. A better solution would be to make sure that. Doctors are that hospitals know what health plans doctors are on, and if a hospital is on certain plans, and a doctor is not, that the the um, hospital knows that going in, so that the the patients aren't aren't shocked. Um, by by getting a bill from a doctor who they thought was on the plan, there are a lot of better ways to fix this than are being proposed. But but the take home message is that that it's a broken system, not created by the greed and and avarice of physicians. It's it's because of the insurance companies and the hospitals. Um, we're running out of time, and I just wanted to. Um, mention one other thing in the news which is just absolutely mind-boggling that uh, that I thought was really interesting and it was in California um, where else um, where the California lawmakers moved to expand Medicaid for illegal immigrants and I read this and yeah. I just could not believe that that uh, that it passed overwhelmingly 44 to 11 what this is is really a tax on on those people who are currently paying for health care and sally pipes one of our dear friends and uh, the uh, ceo of the pacific research institute in california commented on this and she said that, uh, quote, paying for the health care of the undocumented in California is in effect a tax on people who are here legally. It would make California an even larger magnet for more illegal immigration into the state, putting incredible additional pressure on future state budgets. If taxpayers protest with their feet by moving out of state, there will be fewer taxpayers left in California to cover skyrocketing health care costs and more pressure on people who remain to pay for these programs programs. So this is uh, actually what's happening. People are moving, they're voting with their feet and they're moving out. I uh, talked to somebody um, last week um, who uh, lived in California, who moved here uh, to Georgia because they just could not uh, deal with uh, what was going on in California anymore. And I've uh, read stories about the same thing happening in Florida and in Texas. And I um, this is This is really a uh, a bad idea, and it underscores again the differences between the left and the right and uh, the um, The left is uh, trying to uh, create a welfare state, and they're trying to say that we should be more like norway or or uh, Scandinavia. And what is really interesting is that the Scandinavian countries, which are social welfare states, are actually implementing right now some of the toughest immigration laws in the country, uh, in the world. And uh, you can't have both. You can't have open borders in a social welfare state. And so that's what we really need to decide on. And in health care, which is what we focus on on this show. There are those who believe that health care is a human right. And I've said time and time and time again that it is not a human right. It is a responsibility of a compassionate society to provide these services for those who uh, cannot afford them. And so I don't think that the same benefits that taxpayers in the U.S. get, which is the social welfare net, which is, by the way, going away because we cannot afford the escalating costs of Medicare and Medicaid on the trajectory that we're on. Medicare now is slated to disappear by 3030, 3026 by some estimates, but 3030 by others. And Medicaid is being expanded around the country. In, in, uh, in over half the states. This social um, uh, network, this, this uh, safety net is going to bankrupt the U.S. unless we come to some kind of um, uh, reasonable solution how to fix this problem and expanding services to the world and letting the border remain porous and giving these people full Medicaid privileges and access is not the answer as a healthcare care provider um, I would uh, be very concerned about this if I lived in California and uh, it's a a real problem um, there is a, a communicable disease problem associated with these immigrants they're coming in with diseases that we haven't seen in this country in decades typhus Diphtheria, tuberculosis, to name a few, polio. So this is something that uh, needs to be addressed. And California is. Um, uh, I think I, I, I just got a message that I said thirty thirty. It's I, it's twenty thirty. I'm so sorry. Bankrupt Medicare Medicare will be bankrupt by twenty thirty. By some estimates, twenty twenty six. By others, but anyway, um, I digress. So, so California is is a a lens into the mind of the left and tells you what they want to do with regard to um, uh, healthcare, and and this is going to be what happens with Medicare for all. So, I've shared with you a couple of recent. Uh, news items that have come up and we've had a good show with dr lee gross who i wish to thank once again for being with us and welcome you back into the doctor's lounge in two weeks when i'm back with you next week dr mike will be uh back here in, at behind the microphone so uh thank you for being with us
0: you're listening to america's web radio
1: on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. thank you for listening